to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning, good people. Welcome to the Vineyard in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Seacoast Vineyard. My name is Tim Holt. I'm the lead pastor here, and I want to welcome you today. If you're part of our family, church family, thank you for checking in. You do this every Sunday, and you've done it through this whole entire pandemic. And if you're just joining us, man, welcome. So glad you're here. I uh, wish you were at the beach with us right now, but I guess you kind of are. And, uh, and so welcome. We're so glad you're here. We are in a series in the New Testament book. It's a short book, a short letter, First uh, Peter. And so we've been making our way through this. This is part eight. So we, you know, we're not rushing through this. We're taking our time. And uh, I hope you been encouraged by it and uh, gaining some knowledge, but also that maybe you're seeing that those who have gone before us have faced challenges. And just like them, as we face challenges, God is faithful in our lives and he calls us to this walk, this beautiful walk, so that others can see Christ and see the hope that is in our heart. Um, I think it's important to know that uh, this letter was written to a group of people who evidently were undergoing some persecution, maybe not heavy, heavy yet, but their neighbors, possibly uh, history, some history that we have from that era shortly after that era, within 10, 15, 20 years of this time, kind of spells out that Christians tried to live a very quiet life in their neighborhoods. They they tried to serve Christ. They tried to live their life out before their neighbors and their family. Uh, but they were looked at kind of a stink eye sometimes. Look, you know, like we say, we surfers say, people didn't quite understand some of the rituals and the traditions and the practices that the church had then, as well as we have now, one communion. They didn't understand that, eating the body, drinking the blood. And so when they heard this, or they heard that was going on in a group, in a house somewhere with with these Christians, they were like, what are these folks? Are they cannibals? I mean, that was one of the one of the things that really kind of set off this sense of uh, who are these people and uh, can we trust them? What's going on? And another is why don't they worship the same gods we do? Sometimes we think that the Romans didn't have a religious structure that was all about intellect or the Greeks were. And, but that's just not true. If you do some studying, you find out they worshiped the emperor. Uh, they worshiped other gods and they had quite a few gods, actually, they could worship and it would be better if you worship those, you know, if you worship Jupiter, Juno, Minerva, Roma, all of this, you know, people had them in their homes, these idols, uh, when they had their gatherings, even what I call guilds, these small groups of people who gathered around maybe a profession uh, for fellowship. And also they had to pay dues. And it was also a way for that group to take care of people when they died. Uh, If someone died in your family, these guilds, let's say it was the butchers that prepared the sacrificial meat 
for uh, the pagan religions, then they would form a group and they would take care of their members. And when they died, they would see that they were buried correctly. But, you, you know, you paid dues, you had wine that you contributed to the group. But some think, people think that that was just like a, a union, but it wasn't. Matter of fact, it was not to be politicized. And the minute that Rome had any inkling that a group like that that was gathering had any political ambition about it, it was going to be dealt with. Uh, so, you know, here here comes these Christians into this environment. And maybe at first glance, they think maybe this is just another group like these other groups that have formed. But then they hear that they do not worship the gods, the emperor, that they have one God, which could have been called atheism and was called atheism during that period of time. So they're they're accused of kind of a an oddity of religion and and the fact that they don't and refuse to worship the emperor puts them at odds with their neighbors, sometimes families, and of course with Rome if it gets too overt. Um, we have we have history, some history from that period of time, and you know one. Uh, wrote that how he dealt with the Christians was he would ask them, are you a Christian? And he would tell them, he would say, listen, if you say yes, an adamant yes, then you're going to be executed. But if you say no, and then we're going to ask you to swear allegiance to the icon, to the God that we have, whether it's the emperor or some of the other ones, and uh, you will have to give a wine sacrifice or something to it to show, and you will have to uh, dispel any sense of commitment to Christ uh, and full commitment toward this God or the emperor. And so he would give them three times. He would like three strikes, you're out. You know, he would say, are you a Christian? And if they said yes, adamantly, then there was probably no more second and third question. If they seemed timid and said yes, then they would ask him again, are you a Christian? And if they said yes, then they were, they were warned, this is your last chance. If you say yes, you're going to be executed. And so they said, yes, they were executed unless they were a Roman citizen. And uh, as we read about with Paul, you remember Paul said, hey, you can't beat me. You can't do this to me. I'm a Roman citizen. I demand to be taken to Rome. And of course, he was where he always wanted to be. It got there through a route that uh, was prophesied about, but he didn't just stroll into Rome. He was taken there. And so this is kind of the uh, the situation that we find the church in in First Peter. I'm trying to live a silent, quiet life, but with their convictions uh, and among their families and all, people did not understand them not giving allegiance to uh, the emperor or to the gods of the day. Now they were talking about some risen some guy that was raised from the dead and, you know, what is going on with this? And so that's the kind of hostility and that's the kind of um, simmering, um, simmering, I guess, awareness and somewhat rejection of these new believers, this new Christian sect that was formed. And uh, so we're going to read today out of First Peter 3, 15 through 16 and uh, take a look at 
some of what Peter told this group, and I think it's good words to us today, too, of how to handle living in a hostile environment or in an environment that is not welcoming to the gospel. And so uh, let's read this. It'll be up on the screens here, and uh, maybe you can read along with me, okay? And then I'll pray. 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Lord, we ask for your blessing on the word today. I ask for your help. Uh, Holy Spirit, I ask that you come into every home that's watching this uh, in the present right now. And Lord, maybe those who watch later on, I pray your presence would invade that place and give great hope, love, and consolation to the person, whether they're single, uh, whether they're with a family, or wherever they are right now. And I pray that the good news of the gospel would be just that, Lord, good news to those who are hearing today. Lord, guide us, direct us, uh, give me the gift of teaching over the next few minutes in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the handout is on Facebook Live. It's there. It's also on the Bible app, the Church Central app. And uh, I posted it up here for you guys to have this morning. And also I will post the fill-in when it's done, but you can follow along with me. There's four fill-ins this morning. And your first one is this. Where do you start in all of this? with how you respond to people who wonder why you believe what you believe. Well, you start with your heart. You start with your heart. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. In your hearts. That is, it all begins in the seat of where you make decisions and that you uh, have your confidence this is the seat of emotion, uh, heart being that part of you that gives you passion and love and that part of you where you experience things. And that is, it's it's the sincere part. It's feelings, yes, but it's also this confidence. It's this uh, where you get your convictions from for life, for love in your heart. And it starts right there. If we jumped ahead without Christ in our heart, this would be so frustrating and and. I imagine that it is frustrating for some of you. I, I would be raised in church and you like, I'm trying to do what my parents taught me and I'm trying to get this. Maybe a, a check-in on your heart. A check-in and go, is my heart really in this? And do I believe this? Do I have this hope inside of me? You know, is that hope real? Is it fervent? And in Romans 10, 9, we read that for it is with your heart that you believe. It's here. It's in your heart. I love the fact that it's hard. It's not just here, you know, that you've got to work through all the intellectual implications before you can feel a conviction and you can gain a hope that this might be real. And that possibility brings to light, along with, of course, the Holy Spirit's help, the presence of God as he woos you where you are. It, it comes in and it, it 
light, begins to deal with your belief system. It begins to convict you on what you believe is real and what you're living your life for. And it also puts a deposit of hope, hope even beyond this life, but hope that's actual in this life as well. And so it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So it first starts in your heart. I believe this morning, you know, there are people watching who, there's a rumble in your heart. You you don't have it all figured out. I mean, who did when we first started this journey? I certainly didn't. I told someone at our food giveaway the other day um, at the Pelican Stadium, we were talking, I said, you know what? I had never even read the Bible when I became a Christian. It's just the most phenomenal thing to me that the word, the name of Jesus was enough to permeate my heart where I was at that time and gave me a hope, an unwavering expectation that something good has come and is coming. It gave me a hope to hold on to that changed my life. And then as I read the scriptures and as I got more into it, my I became a little better at thinking through all of this. But in the beginning, it was just my heart had responded. And then I began to unpack, you know, all the implications and possibilities of that. It all begins in your heart. And Peter reminds these folks that, but in your hearts, revere God, Christ as Lord. Like in all that you're going through up here, you know, hold Christ eminently higher than anything you're going through or any of the persecution or any of the struggle and the stress that you're going through, whatever it is, revere Christ above all in your heart. That's where it started. And we know that in the center of our being, the passion that we have, the conclusions that we've drawn, the confidence that we have, it comes from inside. That's where we get the strength to be able to move and put one foot in front of the other and trust the Lord when we can't see him. There is a hope. Hope is not certainty. Hope is behavior and something we believe is true. And so we begin to act on it. And so we step out into it and becomes more sure as we walk in this life of following Jesus. So Peter tells these friends, this, this group of people he loves, that You know, it starts in your heart, but in your hearts, dear church, dear vineyard, dear Seacoast Vineyard, revere Christ as your master, as your Lord, above all, as your Lord. Remember, he's the first. So we start with our heart. And then your second fill in is you prepare with your mind. You prepare with your mind. You prepare for this life, for talking about what you believe, for talking about Christ as Lord, what the person that you revere more than anyone. It starts as we prepare with our thinking, as we process. Uh, In this passage of scripture, Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give what? The reason for the hope that you have. If I ask you this right now, explain to me why you have the hope that you have in Christ. What would you say? I think that's a great exercise. Now, I said the hope. Give me some reasons. Give me an answer for your belief 
and the hope that you have in Christ. Now, I want you to remember this, that the people that Peter was writing to were not theologians. They were not, you know, they were not well-read, most likely, and they certainly had not studied deeply, you know, the scriptures. Most of these up in that area were Gentiles, like all of most of all of us. And so he's appealing to their heart first that Christ is preeminent there in the heart. And then he's saying, with your mind, start thinking through how you're going to answer the critics when they come to you. A second Peter, if we go to the second book here, second Peter, and in verse one and five, it says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, knowledge. And it's a good thing to sit down and begin to just write out why you believe what you believe. What happened to you? What is going on in your heart? What has helped grab your heart and your life and woo you and pull you toward Christ and toward our Father in heaven? Write it out so that when you're asked to give an account for it, you can do it. You know, and again, this is not necessarily talking about all things theological. These were just like most of us, regular working people who are out there getting it done, but have been, you know, impacted by the word of Christ in his life and through the apostles and the Holy Spirit. And and so now Peter is trying to get them in a position to be able to answer their critics. So you prepare with your mind. You start thinking through the implications. What if my nephew asked me about why I believe in Jesus, why I live my life the way I do, why I have the convictions I do? It's a good thing to think through that, to write it out. Why? Your third feeling is, and then after you made sure your heart's in the right place, that Christ is indeed the Lord of your life and you're submitted to him. Now you're thinking through the implications, the reasons of why I believe. And then thirdly, you engage with empathy. You engage that person who is asking with empathy, E-M-P-A-T-H-Y, empathy. But do this with gentleness and respect. We could use some gentleness in this world, couldn't we? I mean, man, we are, we're in a drought of gentleness. A gentle conversation, a gentle reproof, a gentle uh, exploration with a friend who is asking about faith. That is just so refreshing now. Instead of loud yelling and defensiveness and all the insecurity and jockeying for position and popularity and power, it just zaps us of our strength. Who wants that? I mean, you know, Peter is saying, look, when you engage with this group, this non-Christian group that's around you, who's already looking at you, you know, out of the corner of their eye, like what's with these people? I mean, they call each other brother and sister. Is there incest going on? These are the kind of things. They didn't understand it. They didn't know what was going on. So there were a lot of a lot of gossip and a lot of wrong conclusions being being made in their neighborhood with their neighbors, maybe even family. And so he's like, when you talk with them, if you've thought through how you're going to do this, do it. Engage with empathy. Let there be a sense of gentleness about the way you talk. Um, You know, even if that person is caustic, 
Some of us were taught you communicate to someone the way they communicate to you. Uh, I was taught that. If somebody gets loud, you get louder. If someone throws more information on the table, you throw more than they throw on the table. You know, it's just, here we go, and there's no end to that. But in a somewhat hostile environment here, what will stand out is when someone responds with gentleness. Ephesians 4.2 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And what did Jesus say? Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's what we want them to find, right? The people we're having conversations with. Rest for your soul. And as he started out this letter, Peter called uh, the believers their resident aliens, that we live in a kingdom. We live for a kingdom that is so different than the kingdoms of this world. And so as kingdom participants, the kingdom of God, we must take care not to offend the local populace that's around us so much. And that's what he was telling them. Don't be offensive to the, to the folks. He wants them to survive and he wants them to also thrive. And so he's saying, you know, don't be contentious. Answer with a gentleness. And then when he says respect as well, I believe this respect probably is referring not only to the people that he's saying that you talk to, but to God. Remember that it's God who saved you. Remember, he is the Lord of all. What John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And and so, you know, we learn to respect that, that God himself is the one who has given the greatest and had the greatest sacrifice for you, for me, for the person that you're in a conversation with. And uh, we learn to respect God and respect his creativity, to respect his wisdom. Listen, when Jesus came, God didn't take back this world is no longer any good. Like, you know, I looked at what I made and said it was good. Well, he still thinks that what he made is good. It's just aired off the path. And now he has his people in the midst, almost like aliens, because the world has gone askew. It's gone off in left field. Now he's left his people here to be a voice and to be gentle and to be the people that represent who he is. And so... That gentleness goes a long ways. And then that respect for God also empowers us and keeps us where we are in relationship. That it's really God's world and that it's really God's people. This is really God's creation. And now we are emissaries. So when I look at that person, I see someone that God made. And, uh, you know, First Peter 1.17 says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. You know, it's, it's God's world, right? It's God's world. And he's leading it. And uh, he loves these people. He's redeeming it. And so he's working through you to see that happen. And uh, Jesus told us this, didn't he, in Luke 12? I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that can do more, can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear, revere. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority 
to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And so we treat with gentleness those that we have conversations with and we keep this in view and we respect God for who he is, the authority of it all. And that's a pretty safe place to be, sitting under his authority and caring for the world that he made and he's working to redeem. And then we are you know, co-laborers with Christ, with the Spirit, with the Father as he loves this world. And your last feeling is this. If you live like this, you will reap a clear conscience. You reap a clear conscience. That's your last feeling. Keeping a clear conscience. Uh, there are a lot of scriptures that's in the bottom of the fill in there that have to do with a clear conscience. Here's one, Acts 23, 1. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, my brothers, I like the fact that he included that. He's like, I am a human being too. I'm someone who is seeking faith as well. I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. Can you say that? Can you say that my conscience is clear up to this day in this moment. If it's not, you can get it cleared. You can go to God. His forgiveness, His love is there in an abundance to clear it out. And now this means also as we engage, I think, engage with people in their lives that we can have a clear conscience that, you know what, Lord, in that conversation with my friend, I did every single thing I could do. I showed your love. I was gentle. I shared my life. I shared what you have done. I shared the hope, the reason that I have this hope in my heart. And I have a clear conscience, Lord. I've done everything I could do. That's a beautiful place to be, and that's a promise to us that as we live this way, we can have a clear conscience. You know, someone said in this, as I was studying this, that in this text, the medium is the message. And that is you, me, as we are in the way, we are the ones, we're the ones carrying the message, our heart, out of our mouth, the way we think. We are the medium. And so the medium is the message to people. And uh, that's, you know, what happened to me is someone came along and shared Christ and just told their story to me. It wasn't a complicated theological exposition. It was one heart who had been changed by Christ who shared with me. And evidently my heart was right for this and it found good ground and it was rooted. And Jesus rescued us and he is rescuing us. He continues to. He died for us. And you know what? He died for that other person, that person you're talking to. And so we can have empathy for them. And, um, you know, years ago, there was an ABC program on that was doing uh, an expose on religion in America. And the reporter said this. People are quite willing to reveal the most intimate details of their sexual lives, but most mainline church members have nothing to say about their religion. That is truly sad because God has not stopped. He has not stopped sending a message of love to his creation. He has not stopped loving you, working through you. No matter whether he gets the press or not, 
He continues to love. He continues to work and to woo. Jesus left us an example. And if everything, you know, for these folks up in this region that Peter was talking to, if things went wrong, they had the promise of resurrection. And none of us get out of this place alive, do we? I mean, we're not. But we have the promise of resurrection to come. Friends, I hope you let this sink into your heart that Christ loves you. There is no barrier that is too thick or too tall that his love cannot penetrate. And sometimes I think we confuse hope with certainty. And so many of us are waiting for this certainty, this evidence suddenly that drop in our laps that causes us to draw a conclusion that this is absolutely true. And yet what God does is he sends hope. Hope is the evidence. Hope is what we live for. If someone comes to me and says, prove to me that there is a God, I can tell you my experiences. I can tell you the things that I've studied, the things that are beautiful to me. But I can't prove to you. And that's why I have hope. And if you're waiting for something to just grab you and make you believe something, that's not going to happen. But if you sense this seed of hope in your heart, that look, look at these folks. This is what Peter was saying. This church, don't give the pagans, don't give the unbelievers in your area any, you know, any fodder. Treat them with gentleness. Give a reason for your hope. And then there's that X factor, which is the Holy Spirit who comes and does his work in people's lives. And we don't control that. You know, that's at the release of the Father. But we do have hope that he will release just like he did for you, just like he did for me. He will release the working of the Holy Spirit to come and to woo and to love that person so they can begin their journey. And you know what? Not everybody, just like in this day in in all these history books I'm reading uh, about the first century church right now, you know, not everybody stuck it out. There were those who hit bumps in the road and when Christianity uh, didn't fit their need, they bailed. And there are people like that. But some of you who have bailed, you've not been able to escape it. That's because the seed of hope was planted in your heart a long time ago, and it's time to come back. It's time time to respond to him, the beautiful Savior who gave you that hope in the first place. So here, we're going to pray. And, you know, if, if you're at that place, whether for the first time or you're making your way back to Christ, this is the best place in the world to do it right now. Father, I pray for those that are here today. I pray for those first, Lord, who have wandered away, maybe through some disappointment, maybe through some lack of certainty that they thought they could find, but that hope has remained deep inside their heart that this could be true. I pray for them right now that at this place and at this time, they would turn, Lord, turn from going away and turn back toward you and to trust you and that their hope would grow, and that their hope in you, Lord, would be evidence of the reality of who you are and what you've done for us. Just say yes to Christ. And if you've never done this, there is a whole other life waiting for you in Jesus Christ. Like that Romans 10, 9 passage said, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Christ was raised from the dead, you will be saved. 
And so if you would pray that right now and say yes. And what I want you to do is to text to 474747 the word commit, C-O-M-M-I-T. That will let me know that you prayed this morning and so we can continue to pray with you. Okay, I enjoyed this time with you guys. I'm loving this journey in First Peter. I hope you have a very wonderful week and know that God knows where we are, why we're here, and where we're headed, and that he is ever with us. God bless you guys. I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.